Hello, and welcome to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This episode is brought to you in part by Independent Pharmacy Alliance. IPA is a trade association and buying group representing 3,700 plus independent pharmacies, leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA now offers a comprehensive third-party help desk, legislative advocacy, and continuing education free of charge to members. Learn more today at ipagroup.org. In this episode of the IPA podcast, we're going to be speaking to two New Jersey pharmacy all-stars. And this is going to be probably the most important episode of the IPA podcast so far, because we have a huge announcement that we're going to talk about that has the potential of really reshaping the political landscape for independent pharmacy in New Jersey. My guests today are Brian Oliveira. Brian is the executive director of Garden State Pharmacy Owners, and he was also the past president and pharmacist in charge of Baker's Pharmacy. And we also have Svet Millick, who's the owner of Colonia Pharmacy, and he's also the pharmacist in charge. Svet is also a compounding pharmacist. Welcome to the IPA podcast, guys. Thanks for coming on. Excited to be here, Anthony. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. So, Brian, tell us about the big announcement. What is this new thing that the New Jersey pharmacy owners are going to start hearing about that really has the potential of reshaping the political landscape for independent pharmacy in New Jersey? Well, like you said, Anthony, I think today the most important thing we can try to get across to owners across the state is that the Independent Pharmacy Coalition, an organization made up of just about every pharmacy organization in New Jersey, is announcing a campaign called Save NJRX. Um, and this is essentially is an effort to try to get a return to a Medicaid prescription carve-out and return to fee-for-service enacted in New York, excuse me, New Jersey, just like New York State did back in April. So we're, we're excited about the potential of this because we know that it's going to obviously help the Medicaid providers in the state restore access for our patients that has been dwindling over the years. And more importantly, from the state's perspective, provide massive amount of savings in prescription expenditure for the Medicaid program. So just for the non-pharmacy listeners out there, because we have some people who are in the industry, but they're not really pharmacists or pharmacies. What is Medicaid fee-for-service and why is it important to enact that as a state policy? Medicaid fee-for-service essentially is when a state handles running the Medicaid program in-house uh, with its own Medicaid department, as opposed to doling out those responsibilities to a third party, more often termed an MCO or a managed care organization. The reason that we're seeing a trend back to fee-for-service away from the MCO model is because it gives complete control to the state to control access to Medicaid benefits at the community level, whether it be a prescriber or a dispenser on the pharmacy side, and obviously complete control of benefit design and expenditure more often than not, you know, versus the MCO model where you have third-party for-profit companies running Medicaid programs for specific states and, of course, obviously profiting off of doing so. So it sounds like what you're saying is that there's this middleman in the state Medicaid program that's drawing off or siphoning off a lot of money in terms of taxpayer dollars. And this is money that maybe could be going back to the state in terms of revenue, to the patients for lower drug pricing, or to pharmacies in terms of better reimbursements. Has this been happening in New Jersey? Have PBMs been profiting off of the Medicaid program? You can be assured that they indeed have, Anthony. 
That's how the managed care organization, the whole market, that's how it functions. You know, they come in and convince payers. In this case, we're talking about obviously the state of New Jersey or any state Medicaid program that by involving these third party for-profit entities, they're going to do their best to keep prices of drugs specifically in this, in this conversation down for the Medicaid program or whatever private entity is utilizing these MCOs or PBMs. But what we know, unfortunately, is the reality is that as many states have transitioned back to fee-for-service have discovered that when you involve you know, another chef in the kitchen, so to speak, you're, there's never going to be more room for anyone. And so what happens is that we see patients access limited over time just to try to drive business to the, the vertically integrated pharmacies owned by these MCOs. And so really, when it comes down to Medicaid benefit, we're talking about more often than not the populations in each state that have income issues, disability status, or managing chronic conditions of serious, very serious nature. And so by having third-party companies that are for-profit involved in this model, it just becomes an inefficient program altogether. So like you said, you, you just you described it the best way. You know, everybody involved besides the MCOs benefit when a state transitions back to fee-for-service. Patients, the providers themselves, and obviously the payer which is the state. And is Save NJRX a rallying cry to independent pharmacies in New Jersey to get them to join forces in order to change our Medicaid system in New Jersey back to a fee-for-service system? That's an excellent way to describe it, Anthony. I mean, we, we are hoping, when I say we, the collective, all the organizations behind Save NJRX are all hoping that this is the one campaign or banner, however you want to put it, that every owner in the state, all 800 plus independent pharmacies in the state should all be able to rally behind, right? This is the one campaign. This is the one effort that we know is going to be a big win for not only the providers that we mentioned, but our patients that we serve and obviously the state that we all operate in. So, you know, we feel that Save NJRX is something that is unprecedented and is coming at perfect timing. Because like I mentioned earlier, New York State, our neighbor to the north here, has successfully transitioned back to fee-for-service and is expecting upwards of $500 million in savings in the first program year. $500 million? So New York has transitioned back to fee-for-service? And you're saying they're showing a $500 million savings just in one year? Correct. It was an uphill battle, obviously, in Albany, uh, just like it will be in Trenton, most likely. But New York State has indeed transitioned back to fee-for-service model for their Medicaid prescription program as of April 1st of this year. And the state did so because with their own information, their own auditing, their own research into it, they realized that on the low end, they were expecting to save over $500 million. That's correct. And by doing so. So the state is saving a giant amount of money. That's no number to sneeze at. But at the same time, are we hearing that the pharmacy owners, are they happy with the reimbursements that are coming out of New York? Yes. I mean, happy is obviously a relative term. We talk about pharmacy owners. I'm sure everyone here can attest to listening to this. But what I mean by that is that what we're, what we're hoping for for a Medicaid or any kind of network is sustainable reimbursement. That is the goal You know, when we advocate for third-party transparency. And yes, absolutely. What's being reported out of owners that are experiencing the fee-for-service transition in real time in New York is that reimbursements have indeed taken a massive step towards sustainability. And really, that's something that not only the pharmacy owners themselves care about for obvious reasons, but something that the state itself cares about, right? You know, when you have a state, a Medicaid market as big as New York or even New Jersey, it's really important to the individuals running their respective departments that access stay available for the patients, right? So that's when we talk about reimbursements for pharmacies and a fee-for-service program. You know, every state has their own calculation towards it, but more often than not, that calculation is going to put 
providers, the pharmacy providers of the Medicaid program themselves in a much more sustainable reimbursement model. And that allows us to stay around and be able to serve the communities that we've been serving. Sved, I want to, I like talking to Sved because he always tells it like it is. So you know exactly where he's coming from. As a New Jersey pharmacy owner, what has the managed care program done to your pharmacy as a business, to you as a medical provider, and to your patients? What's been your personal experience under this Medicaid managed care program in New Jersey? Anthony, that's a great question. And and what happens in the real world is the MCO organizations right now are putting a downward pressure on our pharmacy. So that's every independent pharmacy, every community pharmacy that's out there within the borderlines of our state of New Jersey. It's a downward pressure. They're always pushing reimbursements down, which all translates to reduced access for the patient. So when we're not able to operate on a positive scenario, which every business, no matter whether it's healthcare, whether it's a hardware store, anybody that's operating a business, you have to cover the costs and you have to be able to open your doors. But with these MCOs, the way that they drive these programs, they drive them because they're vertically integrated is they drive the patients and they reduce access to them because they're always pushing them to their, their own managed care own pharmacies. So if they have their own mail order pharmacy, they would prefer to fill the medications there themselves. And therein lies the issue because they are also the MCO organization that's making that difference between the state program and what reimbursement is to the community pharmacist. With that being said, as they drive more of those things, those prescriptions to their business model, there's less impetus for an independent pharmacist to be open and to provide access to those patients. So whether they're in Newark, New Jersey, Trenton, Woodbridge, way out in Sussex County, it's always important to have a community independent pharmacy there because we're usually on every main street there. And we answer the phone and we're visible. So that access is probably the most important things. And the states that have already passed and gotten rid of the MCOs, all their projected savings, even I, I believe we'll see also in the state of New York, that that 500 million will probably get surpassed. So every state that has gotten rid of their MCO and gone back to a fee for service which is a good proven model, has always exceeded the initial savings that were projected. Svet, a lot of people don't know what a compounding pharmacy is, but in like layman's terms, how would you describe what a compounder does? And you deal with some really severe disease states. Could you give us an example of the type of patients you see? Sure, Anthony. Simply said, a compounding pharmacy is just basically a pharmacist that can make medications and customize them to an individual's needs that the current manufacturers do not provide a solution for. So it's best described as a triangle. On that triangle, the top of the triangle is the patient. On the bottom of that is the doctor and the pharmacist. So working together in that triangle, the three of us try to make sure that the patient is getting the most optimal therapy to treat their disease state or whatever issue they may have going on. In the world of compounding, we compound anything from uh, medication for veterinary or animal friends. So whether it be a snake, a bird, your dog, your cat, or for children or humans, adults, we happen to focus in on transplant medication. So we're dealing a lot with kidney and liver transplants, and we also do brain oncology. There's some instances where, unfortunately, some patients won't be able to swallow. So then, you know, you have to figure out a new novel source, whether it's a sublingual, whether it's buccal, whether it's a rectal course or a topical. There's a lot of 
answers and possibilities that we can do as a compounder and provide those solutions for our patients. So that's kind of basically what a compounder does. And usually the compounding falls in the expertise of the independent community guy. You know, the chains usually don't have the, the time or, or the focus to, to spend time in there, in that field. You're dealing with a specific type of pharmacy where it's assisting people that have various special needs. And they can't just go to your average everyday pharmacy and get a prescription because they may need a special formulation in order to take the medication. So you give them that special care that they're looking for. But at the same time, while you're trying to manage your business, manage your employees, and take care of your patients who have these various special needs, you got to deal with these multi-billion dollar companies that are really taking advantage of you. And we're talking about these Medicaid managed care companies. We're talking about pharmacy benefit managers, which are some of the biggest, wealthiest companies in the world. What are they doing to your bottom line and to your ability to take care of these patients? Look, the three big PBMs that are responsible for over 85% of the lives covered in the entire country, they're running us out of business. I mean, you can see this whether if you're at an NCPA meeting, you can see this locally in our region. The reimbursements are below cost. We get these contracts, forget about a professional dispensing fee. I mean, if you want to get nauseated, you just pick up any one of those contracts. If you see now a contract that's 0.05 and you're getting a nickel for a dispensing fee, that's a win. How is that a win as a professional and being the most accessible professional for our patients in our communities? You're getting paid a nickel. And that's a good contract. The rest of them, the dispensing fee is zero. So what we're probably going to instill moving forward is we're just going to have our patients hand us the prescription. We're going to have them put their hands out. We're going to pour the medication in their hands and just give them the verbal authority and what the doctor told them on how to take it. It's ridiculous. You have to pay for a label. You have to pay for a vial. You have to pay for staffing. You have to pay for licensure. You have to pay the electrical company, the gas company. You got to pay the heat. You have your lights turned on. All those are inputs in what has to be taken care of on a regular basis to get a prescription dispensed to a person. It has come to the point where these PBMs are below cost on a medication. We can't buy a medication for $100 and get reimbursed by one of the big three at $75. We, as independent community pharmacists, as much as we love our communities and much as we practice passionately in each corner, wherever we are in whatever town in the state of New Jersey, and that goes across the nation, we cannot afford to supplement people's insurance. We are not the ones that are sitting here funding for these mega companies so that they can ensure profits. Their profits are driven and they're constantly growing and growing and there's nothing to stop them. That's the problem that we have. We can fight them and we're better than them, but when it's not a level playing field, that's the problem that we have. And we have no control over those PBMs because when it comes time to negotiate and we're dealing with our PSAOs or you're dealing with one of these PBMs, the contracts that they hand you is basically, I'm a bit of an older guy, so I still remember when we got the encyclopedia that they would deliver to your house. I remember those. I remember encyclopedias. Right? So, so the World Book Encyclopedia or the Britannica. So picture half of those books is basically the contract that you're handed to, and you're an independent community pharmacist trying to run your business. You have X amount of employees, and you have this single contract, and there's no negotiation. It's a take it or leave it. It's basically, you're in the back of a restaurant, someone's holding a gun to your head, they just happen to be called PBMs, 
And it's either sign it or don't sign it. People will ask, well, how do you sign the contract? Because if you don't sign the contract, then you have no business. Then you're hoping, hey, maybe I can talk to this patient that maybe they'll buy a, a card, maybe they'll buy a nutritional supplement so I can offset that because that's the flow of the business and that's kind of where the PBMs have positioned themselves. But it's gotten to the point that they're so greedy and the reimbursement levels are so bad that we actually turn customers away. Like if there's a, a good example is we had a, a customer that's been coming here for years. He's got three children. All three children happen to be on the same medication. On each of those medications, we were losing about $125. I had to pull him aside and say, listen, you know what? There's a Walgreens next to us. You're going to have to fill those prescriptions over there. We can't take a loss of $375 every single month, no matter how much I love this guy, no matter how much he wants to fill his prescriptions here. And that is all dictated by the PBM. So what happens in reality is he goes and fills those three medications at a chain because the chain's not looking at reimbursement. They don't care. And the rest of his medication is filled here. And then whatever medication that gets peeled off and gets filled at a mail order facility owned by his PBM puts him in a terrible situation and his family in a terrible situation because now that's polypharmacy. I don't have access to see what was filled at Walgreens, what was filled at the mail order pharmacy. So how am I supposed to perform a professional pharmacist dispensing if I can't see if there's any drug interactions there? So again, it always winds up being patients. So these patients are now put in the crosshairs of harm, real harm. You know, heaven forbid they get on a narrow therapeutic index drug, they're on this medication and they have a drug interaction. And what does that do to the healthcare system? It adds cost because that person gets hospitalized and it's a tragedy. Heaven forbid something goes really wrong. But those are the things that every single pharmacist is dealing with on the front lines in every single community across the entire country, especially here in New Jersey. And I think at the end of the day, and I know that in our store, in our community, our patients would prefer to come to our pharmacy if they could. But the PBMs don't allow them. I mean, they're restricted. You know, you don't want to be a conspiracy guy, but all these little tricks that the PBMs constantly do, whether it's prior authorizations, whether it's not allowing it. Now, the newest thing is, you know, so we're dealing with these high touch patients where they have these terrible disease states like brain oncology. The PBM now won't even allow us to fill their new fill. So patient comes in, just finds out that the guy diagnosed with brain cancer and has got six months to live. We have the medication behind us and we can't dispense it because the PBM wants them to go to a mail order pharmacy. Why? You know, Svet, these are some incredible stories. And I think what you're highlighting here is the importance as to why we just need to get PBMs out of the prescription drug industry, why they should not be involved in Medicaid. And Brian, save NJRX. I think Svet really outlined why we need a political movement like Save NJRX. What are the goals of Save NJRX? What are you looking to see happen? And why should pharmacy owners, why is it so critical for pharmacy owners to get involved? Well, Anthony, I, before we get to that specific point of why it's so critical, I just wanted to kind of connect the dots on the picture that Svet just painted for us. We all know as independent pharmacy owners and just being in that industry, what has happened to reimbursements to our pharmacies across the country, 20,000 independent pharmacies over the past several years. The real shame of that, besides the fact that you're dwindling patient access to the community level to the most accessible healthcare provider, is that the systemic lowering of reimbursement has done nothing to increase savings for any of the payers over the years, right? So the real tragedy of what's going on in the Medicaid markets across the country, you know, specifically in New Jersey, is that 
The MCOs have dwindled Medicaid access for patients and reimbursements for providers down to a point where there's nothing left almost. And yet, ironically, none of that savings versus the actual cost of the drug, you know, Svet was giving specifics on 100 versus 75. I mean, trust me, that's probably pretty good compared to what some of the deltas are between costs and reimbursement across the Medicaid spectrum. But none of that supposed savings is ever passed on to the state. And the proof is in the pudding. That is why a state like New York took the the initiative to try to move away from that model, because they realized that there was way, way too much waste in the program that is supposed to be built on efficiency and access. You can almost make the argument from the PBM's perspective, almost, that if they were passing on savings that they had inflicted or enforced upon the provider networks across the country that they serve, that's almost a, a valid statement, but that is not what's happening, especially in the Medicaid market. So the reason it's so critical is because we're at a turning point here, not to oversimplify, but politics is a copycat league, much like the NFL. And we know that states have had success and geographically speaking, the closest neighbor to us, New York is already going down this road. So we as independent community pharmacy providers across New Jersey have to band together under Save NJRX and start to understand that this is the time to take advantage of a trend and be on the early adopter phase. Make sure that New Jersey gets put into that initial tide of transitioning back to fee-for-service because our patients will benefit we will benefit as a profession and the state will benefit as well. It's literally a scenario where regardless of where your specific store is anywhere in the state, you're going to have Medicaid business. And it's something that if you have the ability to serve your community at an increased capacity and make sure that stories like what's fed already told where newly diagnosed cancer patient isn't sent home without their medication simply so that the MCO can make a profit on them. That is the goal of Save NJRX. We're trying to return the Medicaid program in New Jersey, which is a massive program, obviously covering about 2 million lives of the 9 million or so in New Jersey. We need to make sure that the expenditure that New Jersey is inflicted upon by the MCOs is done to help try to make sure that the benefit is delivered in the best way possible. That is the purpose of Save NJRX. It is a campaign that is unprecedented, and it's something that we know will be a huge, huge benefit to all of the pharmacists of New Jersey and all the patients that we serve. And Brian, as we close out, could you tell us a little bit about the Medicaid study that you worked on with New Jersey Pharmacists Association? You give us some top line findings. Absolutely. Like Anthony just mentioned, there was a several states that have gone down the road of exploring fee-for-service versus MCOs have obviously looked for the data, right? Some states did so more on their own or autonomously. But in New Jersey, New Jersey Pharmacists Association commissioned a study of the state Medicaid program, specifically prescription benefits, from an organization called Three Access Advisors. I would certainly recommend anyone listening today to just look into them. They're an incredible uh, data analysis and consultant. They've been responsible for a lot of the major groundbreaking studies in the Medicaid market leading up to several states pushing back to fee-for-service. So some of the things that we discovered in our study were of no surprise, right? The first and foremost was that Medicaid reimbursements under the MCO model have not only been decreasing, but are bordering the level of unsustainable. So the reason that matters for Medicaid is because, like we mentioned before, if Medicaid providers start stepping out of that market, access takes a huge hit for patients whose job, the Medicaid department, it is to make sure that they have coverage and access, right? That's literally why the Medicaid department exists. So beyond the fact that Medicaid reimbursements are completely unsustainable, we found some very interesting, what we're calling pricing discrepancies in specialty medications. Without boring you with the details, essentially what happened was the consultants tried to break down 
the data set, which was over four and a half year period from 2016 to the middle of 2020 and included over 70 independent pharmacies in the state, millions of claims in the data set. What came to light when we looked at the specialty prescriptions, the usage in the in the data sample that we had was that the state was grossly overpaying for specialty medications versus the small number of samples where independent pharmacies in our data set were actually allowed to fill these medications. So some specific examples were during the fourth quarter of 2019, ironically, the medication that cost New Jersey Medicaid the most during that three-year period in 2019 was Tadalafil 20 milligrams, which is a simply either generic Cialis, which can be used predominantly to treat erectile dysfunction, but on the specialty side of things is used to treat pulmonary hypertension. So during that three-month period, the state was paying about $1,600 on average per Tadalafil 20 milligram prescription, whereas the pharmacies in our study were being reimbursed about $60 during that same period of time. So remember, this is Medicaid. This is a program where the state, there should never be a delta between what the state is being charged and what the provider is being reimbursed. So that discrepancy existing alone is a huge problem for New Jersey Medicaid. And the problem wasn't limited to that one medication. In fact, there were hundreds of specialty medications that had similar scenario. And so just to, to summarize the specialty discrepancy in just a couple of words here, during that same three-month period in 2019, quarter four of 2019, if New Jersey State Medicaid had paid for the 10 most costly meds during that period, what the pharmacies in our study were being reimbursed, they would have saved over $20 million dollars on 10 medications in three months. That is the delta between what the state was paying for medications through the MCO model versus what the pharmacies in our study were being reimbursed for those same drugs during the same period of time. So as you can see, that's a big problem. And I think when we try to explain this to any regulator or legislator, their eyes open up immediately. You know, this is a scenario where reimbursements for a vast majority of the medications that pharmacies fill for Medicaid recipients have continued to decline. And yet all of the prescriptions that have been essentially siphoned away from the community level access for patients, again, that oncology patient that Sved already referenced earlier, those medications are being charged on a much higher scale to the state than what the pharmacies in our study were reimbursed in the very few instances that we were able to actually fill them. So that's a big problem. That's amazing, Brian. The fact that you found that the state is overpaying by $20 million, and this is money that obviously the taxpayers are overpaying, patients are overpaying, the pharmacies are being under reimbursed. New York took action. And like you mentioned, they're saving nearly $500 million in their first year. And the study that you worked on, you found $20 million of overpayment. So that's just reason enough alone. $20 million on 10 medications in three on months. 10 medications. So we're looking at $80 million on just those same 10 meds over a calendar wow. year. So you can see why a state like New York can get to $500 million fairly easily in estimated savings, when in New Jersey, we have empirical evidence wow. that there was a potential $80 million in savings on 10 medications in one year's time. So really, the savings in New Jersey, the sky's the limit. I mean, who knows what the savings could actually be? Exactly, correct. I think every pharmacy owner in New Jersey that's listening to this needs to get involved and save NJRX. Brian and Svet have really provided a very complicated issue, and they were able to reduce it to about a 30-minute soundbite. But the stakes have never been higher. And everybody who's listening to this podcast needs to get involved and save NJRX so that we can go to a sensible Medicaid reimbursement system, a sensible system that'll save money for taxpayers and that'll save money for pharmacies and save money for the state. 
And so everybody would win under the scenario. That's why we need safe NJRX. Brian Svet, give me some closing thoughts. If you only had about 10 seconds to tell a pharmacy owner why they need to get involved in Save NJRX, what would it be? Svet, what would it be? My simplest thing that I first heard from a compounding pharmacist is if you're not at the table advocating for yourself, you absolutely are on the menu. So do not allow other people to carve us up. Get involved, get to the table, and start participating. It is your livelihood, it is your professionalism, it's your career, and it's what you will leave behind for the future generations of pharmacists coming behind us. Get involved now. Brian, uh, closing thoughts? Agree 100% with Svet. Independent pharmacy has been the punching bag of the healthcare system for far too long, but we are in a critical time here as a profession. We have some really big legislative wins. Um, We have a market on the federal side, you know, where the federal legislature is actually proposing PBM reforms for the first time in its history. We as a public know that PBMs have only increased costs for the healthcare system and provided nothing back. When it comes to the Medicaid program, we need to step up as a profession and do what we can do to make sure that our patients are taken care of the way that only we can do. So that's why Save NJRX is so important because this is the most tangible way that we have to ensure that the Medicaid market in New Jersey goes back to fair and honest reimbursement and access for all of our patients. Brian Svet, thank you for coming on the IP podcast. I want to have you guys back maybe in the next several months so that we can get an update on Save NJRX. We're hoping for huge things, and we think this is going to be a huge thing for independent pharmacy in New Jersey. Thanks for listening to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the president and CEO, John Giampolo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone with music by Marcus Sway. For previous and future episodes, check out ipagroup.org. To learn more about Save NJRX, go to savenjrx.org. That's savenjrx.org. To learn more about Brian and Garden State Pharmacy Owners, go to gspo.org. And to learn more about Svet and Colonia Pharmacy, go to coloniapharmacy.com. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.